You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Continue on our journey through Matthew. Today we find ourselves in Matthew 13, 51 through 52. Now we've been preaching through some parables over the last week, and that's a lot of what Matthew 13 is. Parable after parable after parable. Some parables long, some parables explained, some parables short, some parables not explained. Some parables saying the same thing as other parables, just with a new kind of story. And today Jesus gets to the end of the parables, and then gives a statement that kind of sounds like another parable. So we're going to take a look at this parable in Matthew 13, 51 to 52, where it says this. Have you understood all these things? This is Jesus asking all the disciples. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven... It's like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. That's the whole parable right there. Let me read it one more time. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, it's like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Hopefully you don't have lame Miz stuck in your head now. Every time I read that, master of the house, it's stuck in my head forever. Uh, and I don't even like that song, so it's great. Uh, okay, so <laughs> first off, let's stop and talk about scribes because we don't have a lot of scribes today. We don't need a lot of scribes today because scribes do a lot of writing. And we've got printing presses. We've got uh, you know, robots that pay attention to what you say and kind of mark it down. So people trying to like keep up with that isn't quite as prevalent as it used to be. So we need to know, like, what is a scribe? And scribes have had a lot of different jobs over the centuries. Uh, Even from a biblical perspective, a lot has been allotted to them. So we don't know entirely what the scribes of Jesus' time did, but we can gather, just looking at the history of what scribes did, that these were some of the things in which they, they partook in. So what do scribes do? First and foremost, scribes copy manuscripts. I know, we've got printing press today, you hit the print button, and you just get tons and tons of edition. well, not editions, copies of the same exact thing. Back then, however, you had to copy, of course, by hand, every single thing that you saw in front of you, and you had to do it well, because if you make typos, especially in the Bible... <laughs> Well, then you've just passed on that typo to everyone who reads that manuscript. And if another scribe used your manuscript to make their own manuscript copy, and they copied your typo, then guess what gets passed along with it? The typo. So scribes were very educated and very careful. They had to do lots and lots of writing, copying things over. In fact, they were so educated, this this might actually make you feel uncomfortable. Scribes were so educated that they actually could make uh, changes in what they were working on. So imagine it this way, okay? 
The scribe has read the Bible over and over and over again because it's his job to copy it. A lot of it's up here. Uh, He can teach on it. He can tell you all the theology that you need to know because he has been working through these manuscripts over and over and over again. Some of it's probably committed to memory at this point because of how cautiously he's wrote it down. Because he is educated in the Bible... When he gets a manuscript that he needs to copy, if he comes across a spot that sounds not right in his mind or doesn't seem to match what he understands of what should be there, he might actually make a change to what he thinks it should be. And the reason is, like, someone just passed him this manuscript, perhaps from another city. You can't just pick up the phone and be like, hey, bro, I was just reading this. You said this right here. Is that right? Is that what they're supposed to say? Right? <laughs> No. So the scribe would just be like, okay, this doesn't sound right. I'm going to fix it. And they might do that. In fact, we have verses in our Bible where today we have found older manuscripts and we're like, scribes did this here and there. For example, I preach on Deuteronomy 32 a lot. In Deuteronomy 32, it says that God allotted the nations outside of Israel over to the sons of God. Sons of God are spiritual beings saying God has put other nations under the authority of other spiritual beings. However, if you look at your own Bible, if it hasn't been updated to later or to older manuscripts, your Bible will say God allotted the, uh, the other nations over to the sons of Israel. Sons of Israel would be human beings. So our Bibles say human beings, while older manuscripts say supernatural beings. Somewhere, obviously, a scribe came across that, and he's like, that doesn't sound right. I'm just going to switch it because this makes more sense in my mind. Scribes were that educated and that trusted to be able to make huge decisions like that. And some of the reasons versions like the ESV have switched over to Sons of God in that particular one is because we come across lots of old manuscripts that obviously said the other thing. So we've adapted to the older because the older would have been what originally was being communicated. Okay, so scribes make educated copies of manuscripts. They also teach and interpret important literature. So the Bible, other important Jewish literature they had at the time, they would teach about it uh, because, of course, they're reading all the time. They've got a lot of knowledge. So they would interpret that and teach it. They would work for priestly organizations. Okay, They would work for royalty Kings and queens would actually ask them for input on things. They worked for other administrative positions. Um, Sometimes they were like political advisors or diplomats. If somebody needed information about a decision, well, you might turn to a scribe because a scribe is well studied. A scribe can tell you, hey, these people made this decision in history. That's what happened with them. So maybe don't go there. They worked with ancient sciences. Since they could read, and not everyone could read back then, um, you found that the scribes had all kinds of knowledge, not just on the scriptures, but on plenty of other stuff too. They were leaders of important religious groups, and they also wrote documents for kingdoms, for businesses, and for private households. So they did legal paperwork too. You see Jesus talk about scribes swallowing up widows' houses elsewhere as though they figured out how to legally like steal from widows. So that, that would kind of maybe be an understanding there. All right, so all that being said, that's some of the things that the scribes do. Copy manuscripts, they teach, they interpret, they work for priests, for royalty, for administrative positions, for political advisors, diplomats. Uh, they have knowledge of all kinds of things. 
They are leaders of important religious groups, and they write documents for all kinds of stuff as well. They often get lumped in with other religious folks, right? You don't always see just the Pharisees. You see the Pharisees and the scribes, or the Sadducees and the scribes. So they often end up in the same kind of parties as that. Uh, They also uh, are seen testing Jesus, threatening Jesus, and they're held partly responsible for getting Jesus killed. So we don't have like the greatest uh, memories of the scribes of Jesus' time, because despite all the knowledge that they had, they used it against Jesus, God himself. Matthew is less condemning, though, towards the scribes, and since we're going through Matthew, I'll just note a few places where Matthew actually seemed to acknowledge the scribes in a good light. Uh, in Matthew eight nineteen, scribes wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, there was one scribe who especially wanted to follow Jesus. Matthew 2, 1 through 12, King Herod needed uh, information, even though the information he wanted was bad. He looked to the scribes as the knowledgeable people who could supply it to him. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that you, in order to get into heaven, you had to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, that was kind of an insult, like be so much better than them. But at the same time, everybody thought the scribes and the Pharisees were like the most righteous people. So Jesus is like, yeah, but be even more righteous than them. So that's kind of an insult and a compliment. An insultment, a compliment, I don't know what you call that. Uh, and then in today's passage, we see that Jesus saw that scribes could interpret things well. So... All that being said, that catches us up on scribes. Let's look again at our passage now that we understand what scribes are. Jesus tells them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, that is God's world, God's politics, God's kingdom that he's ushering into the world, every scribe that has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new, And what is old? In other words, when we team up our knowledge of everything we know about God, our theology, when we team up our our knowledge of the Bible with Jesus, with the kingdom of heaven, and we allow the Holy Spirit to do interpretation, and we allow God to bring out the old and the new, when we subject God's word, his Bible, to God's kingdom, then we get real truth. Then we get new revelations. When we study the Bible as citizens of heaven, which is what the Bible calls Christians, then we start to read the Bible differently. Now, I do want to talk about the Bible a little bit. Of course, we've defined scribes now. Let's define Bible because a lot of people have a weird idea of to what the Bible is. A lot of people, when you think of the Bible as God's word, it means like you think that someone was writing somewhere and suddenly their eyes rolled up into the back of their head, Right? Suddenly their hand was taken over and they started writing God's word, something like that. That's not what happened. In fact, that would be usually, that's called automatic writing. That's teamed up with the occult, not with Jesus. (laughs) So that's kind of a weird theory as to where the Bible came from. Uh, But because we think of it as God's word, we think of these people just like swept up in a moment, suddenly writing it back. Or maybe like an angel dictated it to them. No, no. Uh, Other religions teach that angels dictated to them their holy word. Uh, People think that maybe it just fell out of the sky and now we have this sacred word. No, look, all of this... I don't know what's going on there. Everything's just killing me right now here. All of this... uh, (laughs) The Bible is God's supernatural world. 
world. Word, okay? The Bible is God's supernatural word. But he gave it to us the way that he gives us so many things. He inspires humans. He works along with them to give us a gift. He didn't just possess people and make it appear. Rather, he comes to flawed human beings in the state that we are. And he begins to inspire them, to breathe on them, to write words that he is giving them. It is a very human book and it is a very godly book. So that, that is what the Bible is. So when we come to it, we have to come to it understanding that this is God's holy word, but it is still written through humans, okay? Now, Jesus did something amazing when he came to town. Jesus surprised us because he started showing us that we've been reading the Bible wrong. <laughs> You've got all these religious groups who preach all different kinds of uh, teachings on the Bible, and then Jesus takes the stage, and somebody is like, actually, you've heard it said this way, but it's actually this way. You've been taught this from the Bible, but it's actually the opposite of that, right? And suddenly Jesus is flipping scriptures on its head saying, pay attention to me, understand the heart of God behind these passages, because you're using them to actually oppress people, and God is giving them to you to free people. And so Jesus begins flipping scriptures on their head. Sermon on the Mount, of course, is the perfect place to go to if you just want to see him do it over and over again. Now, you would think a lot of people would be like, that's the complete opposite. That's blasphemy. But that's not what people did. Instead, they were shocked. They were amazed. The Bible says time and time again after Jesus is taught that like, they've never heard anything like it before. The Greek word is exousia. Jesus had this exousia in his teaching, which usually like, means like this supernatural authority. So people are listening to Jesus preach. These scriptures that they've heard a hundred times. And now they're hearing it backwards. Now they're hearing it differently. And rather than freak out and call it heresy, they're like, we've never heard this kind of authority before. This supernatural impression behind this. We've never experienced this in anyone's teaching. This exousia. And so Jesus surprised us, showing us that we've been reading the Bible wrong. And Jesus is God in flesh, so really, he's one of the best people to look at if you want to read the Bible right, right? I mean, a lot of times we're like, God, if you would just come down and tell me exactly what you're thinking, that would be great. And he's like, I mean, I did, you know? <laughs> I literally put on skin, I literally was born of a human, and then I walked around and told you straight up everything. <laughs> and not only that, but he illustrated through his life. You know, a lot of times we're like, God... What would you do in this situation? If only we knew. If you, if you were like us, what would you do? He's like, I mean, I, I put on skin. <laughs> I walked around and I showed you what I did as an example as to what true humanity looks like and what God would do if God were to make decisions. And so they were like, huh. right, yeah, okay. So here's what we got to do with the Bible. If we want to understand the Bible right, we have to have Christocentric understanding of it. Christocentric, or as you might rephrase, right, centered on Christ. You need to put all of your attention, not just on the Holy Word, but on Jesus specifically. Because when Jesus shows up, he's flipping things around. The teachings from the old way are now getting new revelations on them. So much so that they almost look the opposite sometimes. 
But if you focus on what Jesus is saying, you get to the real supernatural truth that God was trying to say in the first place. Center your understanding of the Bible on Jesus. Now, sometimes you hear people say in churches, every single verse in the Bible is about Jesus. And I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying every verse in the Bible is centered on Jesus. There's a lot of verses, Old Testament and New Testament, centered on Jesus. But not every verse in the Bible is about Jesus. And when you think that, things get really weird, right? You get into the laws about a woman's menstrual cycle. (laughs) Ah, Jesus is here. (laughs) No, this is about cleaning yourself and taking care of yourself and rules that go along with that. Jesus is not necessarily being painted here. However, the whole Bible from start to finish is one unified story pointing towards Jesus. So you might even take a verse like that and be like, God, why is this here? Jesus, is there any extra understanding? Or or why would you have put this here? What's, What's the real truth, the real revelation about why you care about this? And suddenly maybe God will bring you some revelation. Maybe the Holy Spirit will enlighten you. Because that's what we've been talking about with parables. Jesus says straight up, like, you can't understand parables unless you have the kingdom, uh, the secret of the kingdom, unless you have the key, the Holy Spirit, to unlock it all. In the same way, the Bible is like one giant parable. Unless you use the Holy Spirit, unless you center it on Christ, the one who's given it to us, you won't understand it. You'll miss a lot there. And once you do that, you realize like Jesus is mentioned as early as Genesis, like three, when suddenly someday uh, a man would come from the line of Adam and Eve who will crush the serpent. That's like right at the very beginning of your Bible. And that already is a statement about what Jesus is going to do so many years, so many chapters, so many books later. So. If you want to understand the Bible, center your understanding on Christ. Bring Jesus with you, or the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. It's called both ways in the Bible. Bring the Holy Spirit with you and say, Jesus, help me understand this. I need to understand this better. The New Testament writers must have done this constantly. Because when you look at some of the things that they say about the Old Testament, you're like, dude, how did you get there? (laughs) The New Testament writers actually break the rules that I learned in college over and over and over again. Like constantly. Okay, You're supposed to figure out the context of a passage before you transfer it over into your teaching. And the New Testament writers just don't do that. (laughs) Paul at one point just like, quotes a psalm. He quotes a psalm about destroying the Gentiles, but he just pulls one line out of it, out of context, to say, uh, look, God wants to reach the Gentiles. Look how much he loves them. And if anyone would, like, go back to that psalm and be like, what what was that? It's like, dude, this is the opposite. It's showing him, like, destroying the Gentiles. But Paul comes to the psalms with Jesus, and he starts to see it in a new light. And then he starts to teach in this new light. He starts showing the real revelation behind the Psalms and how God cares and loves the Gentiles, despite the fact that if you read it originally, it wouldn't seem like it said that. The Bible does that time and time again. We just finished a class on Revelation. Revelation has more references to verses from all of the Bible than it has references, than it has verses, okay? So I don't remember the number, but there's like, 200-something verses in Revelation, and 400-something references to other Bible verses in Revelation. And uh, even though Revelation makes all these references, if you were to follow these references all over the place, uh, the author of Revelation obviously knew his, 
knew the Bible like front to back, cover to cover. But he allowed the Holy Spirit to give him new interpretations because the things that he quotes, the original writers would have never seen it in that light. But Jesus is giving him a new light to see it in. I know that sounds crazy because we're, you know, we're always trying to understand uh, at face value. We're just like the Bible's perfect exactly as it is and, and we don't look into more of the details. But when we look into more of the details, we actually see it living, breathing, flexing. We see the Holy Spirit just come into the New Testament and begin to translate the Old Testament in what Jesus just did. Time and time again. Jesus does it himself. After Jesus dies and is resurrected, he walks with the disciples and says, okay, so that Jesus guy who died, he's hiding himself somehow. That Jesus guy who died, here's how he fulfilled the law. Here's how he fulfilled what Moses said. Here's how he fulfilled what the prophets said. And the disciples are like, oh, yeah, we never saw it in that light before. But Jesus is revealing the Old Testament into the New Testament. See, here's the thing. The Bible can become dangerous when you leave Jesus out of it if you don't read it with him. Just like it did for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Just like it does for some churches today who have become infamous for some of the most hateful statements out there, right? They use the Bible, but they don't bring Jesus into it. And so they twist it. It's the movie, The Book of Eli. If you've seen that movie, that guy just wants one copy of the Bible so that he can twist everything because he knows if people hear it from the Bible, they'll follow him. That's exactly what the Pharisees ended up doing, though they didn't understand that they were doing it. I had one person once come up to me and they were just quoting the Bible left and right. It was like they had the whole thing memorized. They were making a point about how they just felt like, I'm condemned. There's nothing I can do. I'm never good enough, so on and so forth. And you know what? They had the Bible verses to prove that they were never good enough. But I know Jesus, right? I'm like, Jesus is the one who makes you good enough. Jesus is the one who loves you unconditionally, who cares about you. And everything that you're telling me right now, even though you're proving your point with the Bible, I I know the Jesus behind the Bible, and that's not what he's saying over you. You know what advice I wanted to give them in that moment? You need to stop reading your Bible. (laughs) You're a great pastor, Jamin. Yeah. That's what I felt like, though. I'm like, you got to stop reading it. What you need to do for now, stop reading your Bible. Go spend time in prayer with the Holy Spirit. Start to remember what he feels like, what he sounds like. Start to remember his loving voice. And once you've figured that out, then come back and read your Bible. I've gone through the same thing before, too. I've told this story a lot, so here's the cliff notes. I read all the prophets too quick. And the prophets sure like to talk about how you're not good enough a lot. And I internalized all that a lot, right? To the point that I couldn't read my Bible anymore. Because I'm like, whenever I meet with Jesus, he's really loving. But when I read my Bible, he really hates me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to do here. And then Kathy, of course, gave me this word uh, one day that she felt like was on her heart. It was like, man, that really helps fix the problem. But then Jesus had Kathy do something even more amazing. Gave her another word. And Kathy's like, I just feel like you need to hear this Bible verse. And it fixed my problem. God used Kathy, gave her a Bible verse to fix my problem that I couldn't listen to the Bible anymore, right? It's, it's weird how God works. But when we don't bring Jesus to the Bible, we don't hear what he's saying. And so with today's passage, 
Today you get this glimpse that there are such things as scribes in the kingdom of heaven. And I think uh, that that's a good implication to every Christian. I think every single Christian can be a scribe of the kingdom of heaven. I would say that there are higher anointings for some as teachers, as the Bible talks about, to be like more deeply educated kind of scribes that uh, um, God gives them an extra special anointing to kind of sort through all that knowledge. But as a Christian, this parable is calling us all out that that we are our scribes and we are masters of the house. In other words, everything is ours. Okay. Everything is ours. There's nothing in the house that isn't ours. We can go through the whole thing and sort out whatever we want. I can't pick a toy out of my son's toy box and he can be like, you can't have that. That's mine. Cause I can be like, I'm your daddy. This is mine now. You know, like, Everything in this house is mine. Son, you don't know how this works. Uh, in the same way, Jesus is like, you're the master of the house. It's all yours. The new stuff, the old stuff. And now you need to sort through it. It's interesting, though. Jesus said, you describe it the master of the house, and you take what is new. He uses the word new first, implying him. And you take the old. And that's important. A lot of people think it's time to just throw out the old or throw out the Old Testament. It's a famous preacher who just wrote a whole book about how the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore, which is not what Jesus is teaching here. He's saying you take the new and you take the old and you begin to sort it out. Jesus said not a period of the Old Testament will pass away. But at the same time, he said, but I am the fulfillment of it all. So you got to you got to bring it to me. You're like a scribe with a giant library of books, new books, old books. Now you bring it all together. You sort through it. And you ask the Holy Spirit to give you help. You ask the Spirit of Jesus to give you help. So come to the Bible with Jesus. The band's going to come to the stage. Come to the Bible with Jesus. And I'm going to end like Jesus does often with an over-exaggerated statement. Come to the Bible with Jesus. Or maybe don't come to the Bible at all. Because there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of damage. Because they're just reading words and they're not letting the Spirit breathe on them. We've got communion ahead of us. We've got worship ahead of us. And we've got uh, some announcements in a bit. We also have prayer ahead of us. They'll be in the back corner. If anyone needs prayer for anything, feel free to just go ask. They'd be happy to pray for you. Uh, for now, let's, uh, let's just pray together, though. So God, we just uh, enter into your presence right now. We know that when we worship, uh, we're not just singing songs, but we're, we're shifting atmospheres. We're bringing your spirit in. We're proclaiming that you're the king of Jackson of this nation. So join us right now. Jesus, you did not look to create another religion. You did not look to just create a, a world that worked without you. You specifically said, I'm going to heaven to ask my dad to send you the Holy Spirit who will help you sort through things. And Jesus, we got to be honest. A lot of us, we struggle with your word in the first place, trying to sort through it all. It's a lot to handle just from a cultural perspective, from an ancient perspective, from a, from a historical and a study perspective. There's a lot there. The scribes had a lot to deal with. And yet now there's this new dimension where we're supposed to come to all of that 
And now listen to an invisible Holy Spirit begin to lead us through it and a deeper revelation of it all. There's just so much there. And perhaps that's part of the reason you give us the church to sort through it because it seems like we could all easily just fall into crazy heresy allowing us to interpret any passage in any way we want. But you give us each other. You give us a body to say, work with each other to understand what I'm saying. So here we are today. Uh, I pray that you break any shackles on anyone here today who, who has convinced themselves based on the Bible that you don't love them. Let that be broken today. And instead, give them the freedom to understand just how much you love them and just how much the Bible speaks to that. So we come before you now and we ask for your presence during this time to shift, to work, uh, to make us anew. In Jesus' name, amen.